the Locked On Cowboys podcast brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On Cowboys sent you. I'm your host, Marcus Mosier. Joining me today, as always, is Landon McCool. Make sure you check him out on Twitter at McCoolBCB. You can also listen to him on the Best Coast Boys podcast. Landon, what is going on, sir? Not much. Uh, just trudging along the, the, what are we, finally at the end of June? No, we're not. We still have one more week. This month, uh, it, despite it being my birthday month, it is uh, just like a, <laughs> a trudge to get through when there's no football, there's no news. I mean, there's plenty of news, but none of it good. It's just, we, yeah. we got no sports. They're finally starting to get some baseball back for people that like that. But for football fans, for People that are kind of diehard, it, it's 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 rough right now because there's just not a ton going on. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a slow time. So we're going to take some time to answer some more t- questions. Uh, we've got a lot of just general NFL questions. We've got some Cowboys-related ones. Um, let's start with this question. This one's a, a really fun one. It should take you all of 30 seconds to answer. This one from oh, Brandon. Man. Who has more rushing attempts this year, CeeDee Lamb or Jameis Olawali? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's probably CD Lamb. It's probably CD Lamb. Yeah, it's probably CD Lamb. I guess I, I, I don't know. Yeah, no. I think it's probably a CD. Lamb. I think I, I don't think all of Ollie has a carry since becoming a Dallas Cowboy over the last two years. Kind of, kind of crazy. Which is uh, funny because he he can carry the ball. I mean, he's a yeah. former. I mean, he's a converted running back, so he has all those skills. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll run the ball more with him. I I, I doubt it, but. Yeah. Um, all right. So this is a that was just a joke question. This is another fun one um, from <laughs> Willie, and I think this is something that uh, it's just it's so instinctual for us that we don't talk about it enough. But um, for the for the newer football fans, maybe this one's from Willie. Can you guys talk about an easy way to understand what you guys are saying when you say like eleven personnel or twelve personnel? He knows he has to do with uh, the players on the field. So let's let's go ahead and talk about that. Then he wants us to talk about the three technique. Versus the one technique. Uh, good question, by the way, because we we often do sometimes, you know, say these things a lot, and there, I know there's people out there that don't always know. So, let's start with personnel groupings, Landon. Why don't you go ahead and explain to the listeners how those work? All right, so you have to do a little bit of math with us, guys. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm sorry. So you have five offensive linemen who are always on the field: your tackles, your guards, and your center. You got a quarterback who's always on the field. So right. that is the very foundational piece. What you're, what you want to dictate by saying personnel group is all the other uh, players that would be in the in the huddle, right? Basically, all the, the other five skill players. Yep, the five. That's skill right. Players. The, the the number of tight ends, wide receivers, and running backs. The way that they achieve this is by giving you two of those numbers and then allowing you to figure out the the math on the rest, right? So twelve personnel. Mm-hmm. It, 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 the way I, it always it's always running backs and it's always tight ends and it's always in that order with the digits and the best right. way to remember it is just alphabetical right so when you say 12 personnel that means one running back two tight ends and then you take that you add it to the five you have eight that means you have uh, three three spots left right so that's wait yeah no, no. 
Two spots left. Nine. Twelve personnel is, yeah, one running back. Confusing myself. Two tight ends, one, two receivers. Two tight ends and two wide receivers. So it's it's basically the only thing that the, the numbers are telling you is the first digit is the number of running backs, yep. the second digit is the number of tight ends, and then you do the math, hopefully better than I just did, to come up to determine <laughs> how many wide receivers are on the field. Yeah, and that's a, it can get a little tricky, and you know sometimes it does take you a while. Um, again, the most common personnel groupings that we tend to talk about, right, are the 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end with three receivers. Uh, we think that's what Dallas is going to use a lot. And then a lot of 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, two receivers. If you can kind of remember those, everything else will kind of come together. Uh, 21 personnel, two running backs, one tight end. Um, th- but that's 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 a good thing to, act, you know, to, to, to do. Um, I, I know when I was, you know, really – first getting to writing and podcasting one of the things i used to do is during the game i would write down each play um and then i would put the personnel grouping that's on the field so that help, helps you kind of learn quickly uh what personnel groupings are on the field whether what teams are uh, throwing the ball more out of certain personnel groupings running the ball more um luckily for now we have a bunch of you know websites that do it for you uh sharp football stats uh, has a personnel grouping um, but yeah, it's a good way to learn the game pretty quickly. Um, let's it, talk it about does, the different. Yeah, go real, ahead. Real quick, I was just say it's not as descriptive as it used to be because you know usually twelve personnel meant two tight ends lining up at the end line of scrimmage. Now that they move personnel around the way that they do, I mean, they put people, they split people out, and they'll have different versions and different flavors of, of those personnel packages, which is why, like, you know, back in the day, they had what was called a, a Pony 21 personnel mm-hmm. the Cowboys used, where they would put, uh, you know, two, whether it was Rod Smith and Ezekiel Elliott or, or Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, they would specifically have a certain running back with that 21 personnel you know so they, yes. they start yep. naming them depending on the actual personnel that's going into the group and usually really what it's for is to alert the, the players that are on the sideline hey this is the package we're deploying if you're tight end two heads up it's 12 personnel get on the field and make sure you're well, taking out the person that is supposed to come out for you I was going to say, it's even really probably more beneficial to defense, right? To whether to know to have a nickel defense on the field or your base defense. Because if you see three receivers, yeah, your three yeah. receivers out there, you know, the, in college, it's really easy because sometimes they'll have these big signs with just numbers 11, 12. Uh, it just kind of helps the defense know uh, who's on the field. Um, let's talk about the other side the one technique versus the three technique. Uh, this is something we spent a lot of time with, you know, Rod Marinelli kind of talking about the differences of players and what you look for in a three technique and one technique. Um, but Landon, tell about actually on the field. What is the job of the three technique? What's the job of the one technique? So the techniques are, I mean, first of all, they're named by, uh, you know, the gap that they fill uh on the, on the offensive line, right? So the mm-hmm. one technique is in, in the one gap. And basically the way it works is that they – they number from the nose of the center out to either direction zero. The outside shoulder of the of the center is one. The inside shoulder of the guard next out is is two or two I. Uh, then two. Then three is the outside shoulder. Then four I. And then four. Then five is the outside shoulder of the tackle. So that's that's it's basically instructive as to where the defensive tackle is lining up now. That also, because of where they're lining up, sort of dictates the type of player that you want playing in that, right? Yeah. Like, uh, if you're if you got a guy who's 
uh, a one technique or a zero technique. You know, I mean, the difference between a zero technique and a one technique can be quite a bit, right? Because the zero technique is more of a two-gap player. You're head up on the center. You're not taking an outside shoulder of the center or anything like that. So zero techniques are your classic nose tackles, right? In, in, in our system, in the, or the, the system we've had previously with 4-3, the one technique kind of took that role, but he is less of a two-gapping player. He is more of a one-gap, try to get in, you know, through the, that gap uh, right. between the guard and the center, over the guard's outside shoulder, and then try to get upfield. Um, you know, usually what ends up happening is because of the way blocking schemes are and because you have four-man defensive line versus five-man off- offensive line, that player ends up getting double teams because 90% of the time, the center is the least, I don't want to say least athletic, but least uh, powerful player, I would say. Yeah, so, he's at and, least and equipped to handle one-on-one the, Especially with the guy that he's going up against, right? Yeah, the, probably yeah. the biggest player on the defensive line. So usually what ends up happening with the one technique is that he gets double teamed. So a lot of what the one technique's job is is to take on and, 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 and try to defeat double teams, but also by taking on that double team, by drawing in that guard to make him block with the center to to occupy him it's just to prevent him that guard from getting to the second level which means the linebackers getting up to block linebackers in the run game uh and and allow those linebackers to run freely and and make plays as they will absolutely i think that's a a great way to to break it down so uh typically or at least over the last i don't know half decade the three technique is the harder one to find and that's why we spend so much time in the draft process of looking for these guys that can get up the field, that can rush the passer. Uh, traditionally, like in Rod Marinelli's scheme, because the one technique doesn't necessarily have to to rush the passer a lot, it's a little easier to find. Uh, it's, I don't want to say less valuable spot, but I mean, it, it kind of is, right? Um, the three technique is the one that gets a, a lot of the, the, the praise, and the one technique has to do all the dirty work. So, uh, a good way to break those down. Um, I just wanted to let you guys know about rockauto.com. It's a family business that has been serving auto parts to customers for over 20 years. They have everything from engine control modules, brake parts, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Their website is incredibly easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always incredibly low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box to let them know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. All right, Landon, um, this was a question I posed on Twitter and I want you to answer it. Um, there's a lot of people expecting a breakout season for Blake Jarwin now that he is tight in one, now that the Cowboys gave him a contract extension over the offseason. Um, I set the over-under on receiving yards, assuming it's a 16-game schedule, we actually have an NFL season, at 650 for Blake Jarwin. Uh, does that feel right, and which side would you choose? Man, it's really tough, right? Because, I mean, you got new coaching staff, uh, you got... Uh 
a new kind of mixture of players in here because not even just that you're missing Witten and, and, and Jarwin is going to obviously take a large lion's share of his snaps and his uh, 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 targets. But beyond that, too, I mean, I, I think you, you mix in what you've got with CeeDee Lamb, and I think it, it kind of, in a certain way, overturns the apple cart, right? Like, it yeah. it, it, yeah. it kind of changes the way that, that uh, uh, you know, the, the, how you think that a lot of this will get redistributed. Um, I think that those, what, did you say 650 yards? Is that yep, what you said? Yeah, 650. Yeah, I, I think that that seems, you know, pretty reasonable. I, I You know, I, my thought process has been, that I think that you know he'll get his snaps, his targets that he got last year, plus probably three quarters of Jason Witten's targets, right? Okay, or maybe that's like kind of fair, fair, yeah, yeah, like or maybe half of plus half of uh, Jason Witten's targets. So and that's a large number, right? Um, so I, I think that you know he 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 definitely is a guy that I would predict over 500 yards just because. You know, I think that he they like him a lot, and I think that they he has a specific role in the offense. Um, you know, that's pretty well defined. That has his he kind of has his own lane, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I would say that 650 yards seems reasonable, but it's it's also difficult to kind of anticipate. You know, I mean, I they 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 had no issue supporting two thousand yard receivers last year. And, my, and my con- another 800-yard receiver in Randall Cobb, yeah. Yeah. My concern is that, I mean, you've added a guy who probably is warranted more targets than Cobb uh, to that offense, and you've got uh, a, a tight end that is, you know, has got a lot of experience but has not been a starter yet in the league for very long. So uh, I, I just by my belief in, in Blake Jarwin, I believe that he will achieve those numbers. But I also think that, you know, it's hard to predict target distribution yeah. when there's a lot of unknown there, and especially with, with C.D. Lamb. Like, you just don't really know. his C.D. Lamb's target, you know, projected targets could – I just feel like it's, it's a very wide range of, of, of outcomes. So, And I think that that directly affects what Blake Jarwin's output will be. Yeah, so for Jarwin to hit that 650 um, mark – he would need to average about 40, 41 receiving yards a game for a 16-game season. I don't feel like that's all that unreasonable. That's probably, you know, I think he's a little bit a little bit more dynamic than Jason Witten. I think he can average, you know, 10, 11 yards a catch. So you're talking about, you know, four catches a game. It seems reasonable. It might even be a little bit high. I think if you said 600, that's, that's probably the little safer bet. But um, how about this? Touchdowns. If I set the over under at five and a half, which way are you going? I I, I think I might be over on that, just because I think that yeah. you know the the red zone situation is where I, I think again he kind of has his own lane. I think CD Lamb will eat into it a little bit because I think he is a good probably a, a good red zone player and will get some looks. But I think that you know there's a there's a very real possibility that that they could find a lot of usefulness uh, for Jarwin in the red zone, especially for a team that kind of struggled in that area last year. I agree. I w- would it be all that surprising if he led the Cowboys in touchdown receptions this year? You know, just because of all the attention everybody else is going to get. Like, I don't see somebody on this roster right now who's like a lock to get 
nine or ten touchdowns this upcoming season. Like Amari, Amari's really never been that guy. Michael Gallup's been pretty good in the red zone. I think Lamb's going to eat in there a little bit. It wouldn't be all that surprising if, if Jarwin ended up with eight or nine touchdowns in, and led this team. In a situation where, yeah, it's spread out between you know so many different players, yeah, I, I definitely think that he has as much opportunity to score touchdowns as any other skill player. Yeah, it almost reminds me of like what's happened with the, the Falcons over the last couple of years where you know Julio and Calvin Ridley will get all the yardage and then it, because of them drawing so much attention on the outside – a guy like Austin Hooper will often be the beneficiary of, beneficiary of it in the middle. So uh, just something to keep an eye on. I think we're both expecting a pretty big year from uh, Jarwin. All right, Landon, next question comes from Kevin. Uh, he wants to know what is the baseline level the Cowboys defense needs to be at this year if they want to compete for a Super Bowl? I think we both agree that this offense is going to be you know, one of the top five or six in the league. Where does the defense need to get to to be a legit contender in the NFC? You know, it's a, it's a tough metric to come up with, right? Because I, I don't know that, like, total defense or, or no, anything right, like right. that. It's, it's not even, you know, yards per game because if they're, if they're scoring a bunch of points, they're probably going to give up a bunch of yards. So Probably. I, I, I would say that, honestly, the thing that, to me at this point, that really needs to be kind of the the – the, the, the landmark to hit is is and I don't have the number in front of me yeah. but I would say turnovers you know I think that that's really going to be the key is I think a lot if you look back at the problems that this team had last year you know when any kind any time frankly any time that there's such a crazy disconnect between the win loss record of your team and the success that you've had, especially on offense nowadays, you have to point to, you know, defense and special teams and the hidden yardage aspect of the game. Uh, to me, it seems like the real, real issue has for this team last year was starting field position. And a lot of that had to do with, like you said, special teams. But a lot of it also had to do with the fact that the team was terrible at takeaways. And I think that there's been a concerted effort by this defensive uh, staff, the new defense staff, to come in to try to create a situation where turnovers will, uh, uh, you know, be more of the norm. And I think that that is really going to be the the kind of indicator to me as to how this defense, how well this defense is able to set up the offense or success. I think it's it, we're past the point of just trying to uh, slow down the other team's offense and hope we can score more points than the uh, than the other team by just you know playing a shell coverage and then making them throw underneath I think now that the defense wants to get more aggressive they want to uh, they want to create turnovers they want to get their offense the ball back in good field position because you know again, you could make the argument that even you know that this offense was incredible. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. that. But part of the reason that they racked up so many yards is because they had to go so far each time. So uh, I think I would rather trade in some of those you know long drives for, uh, that resulted in field goals for short yeah. drives that could result in touchdowns. Right. Um, again, we don't. I don't have a specific number or anything like that. Or you know, even you're looking at like Football Outsiders defensive rankings. But I would say. If this, def- or this offense is going to be in the top five, if you can be in the top 15 of defense, I think that gives you a pretty good shot of you know having a chance to compete in the NFC. So t- 
Top 15, if you can somehow sneak into the top 12, I think that'll certainly be good enough uh, for this team to make a run. Um, I just want to tell you guys that today's episode of the Locked on Cowboys podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Just ordered a brand new bar of the salted caramel chocolate today. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Highly, highly recommend you checking out that flavor. If you've never tried a Built Bar before, let me tell you this. They are by far the best tasting protein bars out there. It's hard to even explain it. Real chocolate with amazing flavors. The best part is it's a low-calorie bar with a ton of protein packed in and no crazy additives. If you want to get in on Built Bars, just go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON for 50% off your first box. That is promo code LOCKEDON for 50% off your first box. All right, Landon, next question. This is from at arguing underscore Cowboys. He just wants to know what are some – analytics and metrics that we like to use when you know evaluating players or looking at uh teams what are some of the things that you kind of gravitate towards i I can give you a couple um you know as you're thinking but for me um like i look to like to look at air yards i like to see which quarterbacks are throwing the ball down the field uh that are challenging defenses vertically i think that's a pretty good metric of uh which teams are being aggressive First down pass rates is something that I've you know taken a lot of time to look at. Um, if you're passing the ball a lot on first down, it typically means you're a pretty analytically advanced offense. Um, you know, I, I think that's another good one. Um, I'm, tra- I'm trying to think of some other ones off the top of my head. But what do you got, Landon? It's, it's tough because like you know we use a whole bunch of these on a variety of different platforms for a variety of different reasons. So like I don't, you know, there's no. There's no like you know catch-all uh, uh, Rosetta Stone as a- analytic number that is like a end-all be-all. I think that there's been many different types of, of attempts to try to do that. I think you know yeah. things like WAR and and, and like you know uh, above uh, you know above replacement wins above replacement and, and and things like that where you're trying to measure an individual performance in the context of what the average player would do in the league at that position. Uh, you know, I, I think that there, it really depends on what you're looking at and yeah. what you're trying to discover. Like, I, I think, it, for, I mean, just for instance, for quarterback, I think that there's like a hundred different, you know, analytic stats that you can look at that will help paint a picture as to what type of player that is, right? I think... Uh, CP over ease, uh, completion percentage over expectation is, is a really good number. I think uh, uh, air yards, what you talk about, uh, net air yards, and, and, and I, I mean, I like a lot of the, the kind of breakouts on, on air yards as well. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that it really depends on what you're trying to discover. And, and really, the important thing is, I think in general, and maybe this is the, 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 uh, Maybe this is more of what we, we should be explaining to people is that I just think it's important to really understand what the stat or analytic you know uh, uh, equation that they've come up with. Yes. I think it's just really important to understand what it's telling you. You got to have because context think, with it. You have to yes, have context. Uh, content, and this is I mean, geez, my brand, uh, <laughs> my, my priors. Uh, it's it's. I mean, context is the key to all of this. If you don't yeah. understand the number that you're being told before you go to try to apply it to your favorite player to make an argument or whatever, you need to have a really good understanding of exactly what it's measuring. Because I'll tell you this, 
sometimes you discover that even the people that create these these products, <laughs> the the these 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 uh, stats, these analytic stats, they don't even understand what it's telling them because Correct. they they have a level of assumption. They know what they want to get out of this information, and when they create the stats, sometimes it, it confirms. There's confirmation bias going on. So. I just or think it's or really another important. thing happens is some people make these stats and they live by it because they're the one that created it and they, they kind of ignore everything else that's out there. Like, I'll, can yeah, I give you exactly. an example? Please, um, yes. Wide receivers is obviously a position that I study a lot of. Um, one of the things that NFL Next Gen Stats has done over the last couple of years is they've tracked um, separation, so the yards of separation uh, based on every target. Now, if you look at the separation yards and you look at some of the receivers, a lot of the receivers that are creating a lot of separation aren't necessarily the best receivers, right? You get a lot of guys like Christian Kirk and Nelson Aguilar and all that kind of stuff. But there are some people that are so tied to the separation stat that they think that's the most important thing for a receiver and that's what good route running means. And that has, that's actually not the case. A lot of the best receivers in the league will have low separation numbers because they draw more coverage, right? Sometimes the teams have to defend them differently. Sometimes a guy like Julio Jones doesn't need to, to, to separate a lot because he's just so much bigger than everybody and you can throw the ball anywhere in his direction. He's going to catch it. So I know there are a lot of people out there who study receivers and are so, you know, they, they love that separation stat, but sometimes they don't tell you the whole story and it's why these stats can be a little noisy at times. Yeah, and again, so I mean, uh, it doesn't account for playing style because, like you just mentioned, like I mean, you know, Julio Jones, even uh, Des Bryant's a great example. Sure. Des Bryant didn't didn't create a ton of separation even when he was at his best, you know. Right. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't one of the best receivers in the NFL when he was at his top. Correct. So I, yeah. I think that that's and again and another thing too to keep in mind is with coaches like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. These guys are incredible at creating separation for their wide receivers. So this isn't necessarily always a measure of of a player getting away from a a cornerback. This is sometimes a measure of how the scheme is able to scheme that player open because of of crossing routes, because of a a whole bunch of different variety of things. So I I think it's really important to not rely on... A uh, you know a holy grail of, of of analytic numbers. I just don't think there's a catch-all situation like that. Each one of these has context. You try to find the, the the most descriptive stat for what you're looking for, and then look at it without bias and see if it actually tells uh, the tale of what you what you're what you're expecting. And if it doesn't, find out why. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a great way to put it. Um, again, I'll give you another stat that I absolutely love, but kind of lacks context a little bit. Um, ESPN has a pass rush win rate um, yeah. that they do. And actually, the Cowboys graded out really well last year. They had, I think, Robert Quinn was number one. Demarcus Lawrence was in the top five. And Malik Collins, I think, was the fourth highest rated interior defensive lineman. Um, but again, it lacks a little context because, you know, Collins is somebody who, yeah, can win in one-on-one situations, uh, but if you put a double team on him, it's pretty useless and you know not a great defender, not a great run defender. Uh, Robert Quinn's the same way. If you put a double team on him, he has no idea how to function. He can sometimes be over aggressive, uh, you know, in the passing game, and that leaves some big holes, uh, you know, in the the run game. So, 
a lot of good stats out there. I, I listen. I am somebody who uses these all the time, so I'm I'm really encouraging our listeners to to go out there, use these stats, but just know every stat has a little bit of noise to it. There's always some context needed. Just make sure you understand that before thinking one stat is the the end all be all uh, to evaluate a player. That is it for today's show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can follow the show at Locked On Cowboys. You can follow Landon at McCoolBCB. You can follow me at Marcus underscore Mosier. And we will see you next time.